So I went back looking through my books. I went back and looked through uh, the, my seminary notes and the different books I picked up along the way through all my classwork. Uh, and if you don't know, I've actually done a lot of classwork. I've taken more credits than I should, and I've come to love my books. I've got a lot of books. And so I went through my books and I went through my notes and I was looking for the section or looking for the chapter or looking for even maybe a book or even like maybe like a video module on how to restart a church during a global pandemic. I didn't find anything. I didn't find anything close to that. Uh, and then I, then I started looking into, okay, all right, how do you grow a church in a world where everybody's angry and miserable and, and is finding ways to hate each other? I, I still couldn't find one chapter on any of that. Uh, and so now if you, if you run out of books or you run out of notes, you always have Google, right? So if you go to Google and you start with the, just the language restart, you know, you start thinking, okay, how do you restart your car? Well, you have jumper cables. How to restart your heart? Well, you pull out the paddles, right? Well, how do we restart a church? And certainly, I certainly would hope we wouldn't have to use such drastic means. But we're not the first person to restart something. And in some ways, Jesus's very mission was to come and restart. Restart faith in God. Restart a faith in who God truly is. To restart life itself. That's why he came. And he has a clear vision as to how to deal with the biggest challenges that life offers. And yes, he faced bigger challenges than global pandemics and unhappy people. In fact, his entire vision, his first set of statements about what life could be like is centered on happiness. For our first sort of full-length series as a church, as, as, as we regather as a church, we want to root ourselves into vi Jesus' vision for humanity, Jesus' vision for community, Jesus's vision for life. So we're starting with, in some ways, his first sermon, his first message, his, his first basic statement coming out of the gates. We're going to, our series is now called A New Kind of Community because Jesus envisions a kind of community that is an entirely alternative way of being relative to everything else in the world. We're looking at a, a simple set of verses known throughout the world as the Beatitudes. You, you might know the Beatitudes because they start with blessed are, something like the blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn. And different people have had their different takes on the Beatitudes, but what they simply mean are happy. Happy are those who mourn. Happy are those who hunger and thirst. Uh, a fuller translation, if, if you don't like the word blessed or if happy feels too light, uh, flourishing, uh, thriving. Thriving are those who are poor in spirit. Flourishing are those who mourn. 
and it seems quite upside down. But Jesus came to restart life, and he came to envision a community. He didn't say all the individuals who follow me will be happy to, if they do these things. It's not what it's about. He's going to cast a vision for what a community ought to be. And this is an opportunity for us as we think who we're going to be as a church. We have a mission statement. We have our values. And our mission statement our values really is about what God has called us to be to, to, to meet the unique moment, right? We, we know we need to build community in a world that's lost it. We need to strengthen faith in a world that's struggling with hope. We need to extend compassion in a world full of judgment, right? Yeah, we know we need to do this. These are particular, these are particular values relative to our moment. But the Beatitudes are timeless principles about what makes a community blessed, what makes a community flourish, what makes a community of people happy. And at the end of the day, I think our world needs a lot of happiness. And we can be a part of giving it to them. So uh, what, what, I want to tell, what I want to tell you a little bit more about the Beatitudes is this, is that these are statements of wisdom, uh, kind of like Proverbs. You either accept them or you don't accept them. Uh, you, but if you can accept them, you receive grace. And if you accept them and receive the grace that comes with it, bam, things start happening. And we're going to look at each one of these things through that same rhythm. Can you accept this truth? And if you can accept it, if you can accept it to be true, you're going to receive something. And once you receive that something, bam, things are going to start happening. Now, this is just Jesus saying, hey, look, this is wisdom in the, in the world that I've made. This is the wise way of being. This is how to understand the world he's made and life following him. They're not equations. If you do this, then you'll be happy. If you do this, then you'll be blessed. That's not how it works. Uh, they're simply truisms. And so uh, with that, uh, let's listen in on this wisdom. And I want to give us an opportunity to participate together, 938 online. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the first part of the Beatitude and then read out loud the other, the second half of that Beatitude with me. All right. So I'll say, blessed are the, hmm, and you say, for you know, the second part of it, okay? And then we'll get right into it. Uh, reading from Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, this begins something known as the Sermon on the Mountain, there's so much to say there, but we just want to center in on Jesus' words and why he would say such a thing. Why would he say something like, blessed are the poor in spirit? And what does it mean that there's the kingdom of heaven? 
We're going to break this thing down and uh, we start with this. Can you accept this? If you accept it, this is what you receive. Once you receive, bam, watch what happens. First, what does it mean to be, to accept this truth that blessed are the poor in spirit? Uh, first, there's two aspects to being poor in spirit. There's, there's a personal sense of it, and there is a social sense to it, okay? Uh, when it means poor in spirit, what it means is that where we are measuring ourselves is in context of the spirit. The spirit, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And uh, we might find ourselves wealthy in our finances. We might find ourselves wealthy in achievement. We might find ourselves wealthy in our looks and in our appearance and in our social connections. But when it comes down to who we are, Jesus wants to remind us that at the end of the day, we, our lives, well, they're measured by how we stand before God. How are we in the Spirit? And he says, when you can measure yourself in the Spirit and you can find yourself poor, well, then you'll be happy. What does that mean? All right, let me see if I can walk you through it. Um, I will walk you through a story. So uh, some of you may know the name uh, Tim Keller. Well, a mentor of his uh, is a, was a professor um, and a church planner named Jack Miller. And he, he is local. He planted several churches up in Montgomery and Box and North Philly. Uh, and he was on a plane one time uh, flying from Philadelphia to Uganda where they were doing some missions work. And he up sitting next to this Dutchman who was telling all about his wild living. And he kind of was having a fun time giving the pastor a hard time about his wild life. And they end up talking about the faith, and they end up talking about the faith for a tr actually a tremendously long time, because it was a flight to Uganda, a long time. Uh, towards the end of the flight, though, the woman in front of him turns around and, uh, and says, I want to thank you for the things you said about Christianity. And I want to commend you for all the things you've said. In fact, as you were talking, I was convicted that there are some things that I need to confess. And right there in the plane, no joke, she kind of leans back and she starts confessing all of these sins to uh, Dr. Miller and just, just starts confessing all these things over and over and over again. And she's like, I am so glad I did this. I feel so much better, you know, and, and, you know, Jack was like, are you sure you want to do this? I mean, like he, he kind of like tried to, get her to slow down. I mean, this is the middle of a plane. She's confessing her sins. But after, after she did this, she said, I feel so much better. He had an interesting response to her. He says, I think it is good that you feel better, but soon I fear all your sins will be back bothering you again. And many of the ones you confessed here. So you are hungry for human approval and relief from a troubled conscience. But you, uh, you appear to lack concern to get right with God. See, so she had these sins that were burdening her, and she needed to get them off her chest. But what he realized, like, well, what about God? 
what about getting right with God? See, when we to be poor in spirit is to measure ourselves before God. And, and he brought some Jack Miller brought up something known as the conscience. Uh, the conscience is placed in every every human that helps them reflect on their accountability before other humans and and ultimately before God. It's, it's in the conscience where we feel a sense of guilt, where we feel a sense of responsibility. And there's been an awful lot written on the conscience in modern days to try to write it off and write it away and to get away from it. And people like to try and say, create a sort of a cultural imposition that like the conscience is just this religious culturalized thing. But the conscience functions almost the same way in just about every single culture. It reflects upon our responsibility and our failure to meet them. What ends up happening to, to a lot of us is that we burn our energy trying to mute out our conscience. We try to perform and balance out the scales. See if, But when we do that, if the scales of our guilt is too high, we can't do much. We're going to have to mute out our guilt and minimize it in some way. Or we go to therapy and we'll transfer the guilt and we can get a relief from the shame, but not relieved at the conscience level before God. That's the personal aspect of what it means to be poor in spirit. Where do you stand before God? How, where is your conscience in relation to God? There's a social aspect of it, too. And Jonathan Dawson writes, writes it this way. When it comes to being poor in spirit, the simple definition is this. To be genuinely humble and in touch with those humbled by circumstances. Because we do not just function as individuals before God. We're individuals before God and yet related to all humanity. And when you're poor in spirit, you have a sense where you connect with others who also have been humbled by circumstances in this life. He continue, continues on, he says, The poor in spirit do not isolate themselves from those in need, nor do they elevate themselves as needy or broken. They are, in a sense, selfless. They renounce the status obtained through success and serve those who lack what they have. They give what they have finances, wisdom, affection, encouragement, and service. They are generous because, as Jesus said, there's the kingdom of heaven. Being poor in spirit is to be rightly related to God in some way and rightly related to others. As you're, as you're, as you're, as you're trying on the idea to accept the blessed are those who are poor in spirit, try this one more. Try accepting this. We will all stand before God and give an account of our life. When he says we're poor in spirit, it means where do you stand before God? This is something that everyone knows, but we try to ignore it. It's, it's kind of like driving. I, I don't know if you've experienced you know those those uh, speed monitors, right? You're 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 driving down the road, and it might be like a wide road or it's a downhill. But the police recognize that this is a place where people speed off, and so what they do is they just they just tell you how fast you're going. And 
there's different levels to this, right? The first thing they do is they tell you, okay, it's a 25 and you're going 42. And it just says the speed. And, and I find that's like, oh gosh, I need to slow down, right? But sometimes I miss that. And next thing you know, it's not just the speed limit, but it starts flashing, right? The numbers start flashing. You know we're in trouble when it's flashing, right? Well, more recently, I'm finding they're taking it to the next level. There's a white light that starts flashing, right? So not only am I, not only do I find out how, how much faster I'm going, but they're flashing, helping me to see it. And now there's this white light blinking. Uh, what happens, though, is when I see that is it gives me an immediate sense of accountability that I'm a part of a community, that my speed could, have, could create danger in this neighborhood. It immediately helps me show me who I am. My, my favorite speed monitor is up on the Platte Bridge in Philadelphia. That's the one where if you take 76 into Philly, they, I, for some reason, they decide on this bridge, they're only going to have a 35 mile speed limit. And, and if you're going above 35, 45, it, you know, it'll, it'll show your speed, you flash. But if you go above 55, it just turns blank. <laughs> it's like, we give up. <laughs> these drivers are entirely unaccountable, right? Um, and we can have the illusion that we that the police might not hold us accountable for our driving. Uh, but the scriptures teach us that we live our entire lives before the presence of God. Every thought, every deed, every action, every attitude, every word heard and said will be held accountable before God. The Apostle Paul says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Another passage, he says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under law, so that every mouth be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. What this means is that regardless of what we think is true about our lives, when we stand before the presence of the glorious God who created this world, created this world in perfection and sent his purity, pure son to go to the cross, we will be held accountable for the way we thought about him, the way we spoke of him, the way we spoke of the other people he made in his image and thought of them, how we handled the resources given us, we will give an account. And this gives us the one more thing to accept and try this on. As the way we find ourselves happy to be poor in spirit. That Jesus' death for our sins is the only thing that can satisfy our conscience and can give us the humility to connect with others humbled by life's circumstances. Jack Miller continued his conversation with the woman on the plane. This is what he said to her. He said, those who seek a, a cleansed conscience through their efforts face a never-ending task. Whether it's, your, whether it's through others or through your performance or through balancing the scales, you're never done that task. He says, you make the completed righteousness of Christ your foundation for the assurance of your forgiveness. And you have a powerful reason for believing your sins are forgiven. The, the Christian faith teaches and that our sins are forgiven. 
And if they are, so much relief. But like, how do we know? Why would we know? And this is what he says. He says, make the completed righteousness of Christ, what he has done in his, in his perfect life and his perfect death on our behalf. And that's the foundation for your assurance of your forgiveness, not your feelings, not what other people say, not your sincerity, uh, not even your good actions, not your worthiness. Make what he has done already for you. And what you have is you have a firm foundation. You have a reason to believe that he would forgive you. That reason happens to be that God is perfectly satisfied with Christ's sacrifice of his own blood. It is only the blood of Christ that cleanses the conscience. Because, because God has held Jesus accountable for everything that he would ever hold against us. Because the cross is satisfying all the wrath of God against the sin of, uh, committed by his children. Because, all, because Jesus is completely held accountable for your sins and my sins. We can believe that God will forgive. Why? Because Jesus has done everything it, it would take to, to pay the price for our sins. So why wouldn't he forgive? Hebrews 10 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the, mo enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, if Jesus has truly died for our sins, we can enter into the presence of God now. Why? Because, well, he's died for our sins. Everything has been done that would, that would pay the price for salvation. He says, Then let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled, to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Our conscience can be clear. Not because we did enough. Not because we're sincere enough. Not because others have affirmed us enough. Not because we've suffered enough. But because Jesus has done enough. Because he has suffered enough. He has fully accomplished everything we need. We can draw near, not because of our wealth in the spirit, but because of God's grace to cleanse our conscience and invite us into his family. When we're poor in spirit, we recognize our access doesn't come through our performance, but it comes through Jesus' performance. And relative to Jesus in the spirit, we are poor. If you can accept this, listen to what you then receive. This is, there's, this, is a, this is an intellectual thing you need to accept, and an emotional thing you said. But if you can accept this, I want to I want to show you what this begins to open up for you first. When 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 we find ourselves poor in spirit, we now can begin experiencing how the kingdom of heaven is ours. You may have learned the Lord's prayer, and at the end of the Lord's prayer, it'll it'll say for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. So what has happened is that in history, because of Jesus' death and his resurrection and his ascension, God has handed to Jesus the, his kingdom, right? Well, because we, because of Jesus, we are adopted into that family. We are brother and sister with Jesus, and then we share in his inheritance, and he shares all he has. All that Jesus has, he shares with us. Therefore, his kingdom is our kingdom, For me, 
when I am enamored with my humble opinion and my words and my thoughts and my answers and my knowledge. The answer isn't more self-analysis. I can diagnose this thing all I want. But what relieves me, what relieves me of this compulsion to say what I think isn't, isn't more conviction or isn't more burden on my conscience. It's a grand vision of the glory of God, the kingdom of God. When I realize that I have all this, that I share all this, that I can't add to my worth, I can't solve those problems with my words. When I, when I see a great Jesus, a great King Jesus, I become poorer in my opinion. I become smaller in my opinion. I hold it, I hold it less tightly. When I recognize that he really is going to solve all the problems, I don't need to run out and solve them all myself. When I realize that he really is in control, I, can, I don't have to grip as tight. When I realize that he can lead me, well, I then begin following. When the kingdom of ours, when the kingdom of heaven is ours, we have a new identity through our adoption. Like I said, we are now part of his family and all that Jesus is ours. We're no longer a victim. Why? Because the Father has chosen us. When the kingdom of ours is now, when the kingdom of heaven is now ours, we have forgiveness. We have forgiveness, which means that our conscience is cleansed and the spigot of shame has been stopped up. Uh, recently, we're waiting for a part on our dishwasher, and so we've been doing our dishes by hand. But I look forward to the day of opening up a dishwasher. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if you have this experience or not. But there's something really awesome about opening a dishwasher up almost shortly after it's done. Right? You open it up, and the steam comes out, and everything feels so clean in that dishwasher. Um, and for a lot of us, we can feel that on our conscience. We can feel a cleansed conscience, like a really clean, like a steaming, hot, clean conscience, free. Uh, for a lot of us, though, you might be like me, and we mess this thing up. There's a lot of different ways to mess up dishes, right? You pile them up and you don't do them, right? Sometimes they pile them up and people just throw them away and just go buy some new ones. Uh, the first time I was left alone with the dishes, my parents went away and I went, I filled up the, I, you know, I waited all weekend. I waited all till, till like the night before they were going to come back the next day. I filled up the dishwasher and put the, put the dish soap right into the dishwasher thing, closed it up, started up. And uh, if you notice what I might have just said, uh, you know something was going to go wrong because I leave the room, I come back, and the floor's filled with water. And I look at the dishwasher and just soap's coming out of the dishwasher and it's just spreading everything everywhere. Why? Because I didn't use a dish detergent. I used the dish soap. Don't put palm olive in the dishwasher tray, all right? Now, now I not only did this once, but I did this twice because I was a teenager. Anyway, so I spread this, I just filled our kitchen floor. And instead of the dishes getting cleaner, I just spread the problem all around because these dirty dishes just spread their dirt and film all the way throughout the kitchen, right? Well, when we don't come to Christ for his forgiveness, we do all this other stuff. We do all this other stuff that just spreads the problem around. When, we, when we, we genuinely come to Christ and accept his forgiveness, 
we can genuinely have a clean conscience. We experience forgiveness and a new identity. Uh, we experience rest because we no longer have to carry the burdens of our life. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary, and I'll give you rest. And this is really hard right now because the media is going to continue to show all the people are doing so much better or they're having much more interesting time or all the problems of this world, and they'll continue to try to activate you emotionally, try to activate your, you to do something. But when you come to Jesus and when you stand before him and allow yourself to be spiritually poor, can rest knowing that he's got it the problems of the world he's got it the 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 FOMO you feel you will never miss out on anything with Jesus there won't be anything that you will regret in him you can rest the problems of the world are not yours and security because once you find yourself centered in him you no longer have to answer to the crowds you know, you no longer have to get a good post. You realize that there's not one like, one heart, one dollar, one promotion that could add or take away your value. You are maximized before the Father. You have nothing to prove. These are the things you receive if you can accept just the sense of being poor in spirit and rich in Christ. And when you accept that and you receive this, bam, things are going to start happening in your life. Why? Because when you're poor in spirit, all of your psychological issues, all of your psychological issues, I'm all of your psychological issues begin to be resolved at the cross and their ultimate resolution will be at the cross. Now, I'm not saying there aren't going to be challenges in the beginning, but the solution for all the burdens that you carry inside the solution for your conscience, the solution for your anxiety, the solution for your fear, the solution for all that junk that got placed upon you. It, the beginning of the solution is at the cross. And if you continue to follow through with the truth of the cross, its ultimate resolution is going to be in the resurrection, the final resolution of what God has begun at the cross. When now, when you are secure, you stop solving for others. You stop solving for others. You begin living the life that God has called you to. You become more socially secure. Why? Because you don't need others. You can begin to love others. You don't need their affirmation. You can serve them and love them. When you're forgiven and, and you really start accepting that you're forgiven, you stop trying to cover for your guilt because you don't have it anymore. And all that spigot of shame that was coming out of your guilt and fermenting from your guilt, it stopped. And, and, and over time, you begin relieving yourself of the burden of that shame. You stop managing your emotions. You start to feel good, at least good enough. And you start living for impact, not so you can feel good enough. And you live before the face of God at rest. You are authorized in the face of your challenges and you're not in fear. My biggest challenge to me whenever, when I considered the topic of poverty was my time in the Democratic Republic of Congo, the second poorest country in the world. There's no more backwards, upside down, awful place than you could ever imagine. Not, their tax rate is about 90%. 
they're, <laughs> uh, you know, they they make in a year what the a minimum wage worker uh, makes in a day around here. They are so poor. They've got very little. They live in such awful conditions. And they're constantly at civil war. There's constant genocide. But they're tremendously happy. I remember talking to this woman, and I'll never forget this conversation. I forget her name, but she said, you know, we're Congolese, but we're really happy. We don't have much, but we have Jesus. And because we have Jesus, we have enough. And I remember, I'm like, I'm wealthy. And for some reason, I don't have enough. This woman in her poverty is able to find a poverty of spirit to find everything she has in Jesus. What's true for her is also true for you. You can be happy. You can be happy. It's not gonna, it's, your happiness isn't gonna come from the outside. It's not gonna come from the inside. It's not gonna come from your success and your achievements but the happiness that Jesus offers, the blessing that Jesus offers, the flourishing that Jesus offers is in him. And if you can accept it, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Father, we uh, look to you as uh, the father of all comfort, um, as the blessed one, and you sent your, Je your son, Jesus, and these words challenge us. They're so far from really anything we experience in this life, but could they be true? Would you give us grace to accept our sinful condition before you, to acknowledge our need of grace, and to see the glory of Jesus on the cross, the beauty of Jesus on the cross, accept his work on the cross as the full payment for our sins. God, if there's anything in us that would resist, if there's anything in us that would fight, would you relieve us of those that rebellion and that resistance, that we might be at rest, that we might be secure, that we might be forgiven, that we might be fully released to accomplish all that you've called us to in great joy and happiness.